yourself with this comic book podcast. Keep safe. We're talking about two old, two new comic books on a podcast. Two old and two new comic books. Welcome to Two Old, Two New. My name is Bill Beer. And joining me as always, Eddie Brock to my Peter Parker, Seth Howard. Hey, how's it going, Bill? Good. How you doing this evening? I'm good. And I love that you keep doing that, Eddie Brock, to your uh, Peter Parker, because I'm still getting so excited for Venom, because it's going to be awesome. Well, I only so. did that once, because the last time we did it, it didn't record. Oh, and they go through? Oh, man. So it's okay. So everybody <laughs> listening will be like, what is he talking about? Yeah, eh, it's okay. okay. Yeah. Strangely enough, this episode feels like a case of deja vu also. Hmm. Weird. No. Well, <laughs> just a little. Just a little, slightly. <laughs> so if you're joining us for the first time on Too Old, Too New comic book podcast, we talk two old comic books, two new comic books every episode, and we spoil the heck out of those books. Yes, we do. Damn good coffee. And hot. So do you want to start off tonight with your new book? Yeah, yeah, awesome. I'll start off. So, me, I'm a, obviously I'm a big geek and nerd because I'm doing a comic book podcast, but probably the first thing that got me into that geek and nerddom, uh, was when I was a kid. Can't remember if it was like Saturday afternoons or Sunday afternoons, but TBS used to run the old, uh, reruns, not reruns, but they would show the old Godzilla movies, you know, when you're a kid, afternoon. So I grew up, uh, watching Godzilla. And I love Godzilla. So with that in mind, I've always been a big fan of these kaiju battles and stuff. Pacific Rim, Guillermo del Toro made that a few years ago. And then uh, just recently the uh, sequel came out, which was great. If you haven't seen it, go see it. It's a lot of stupid fun. And uh, they released a comic book for it. So and this is uh, called Pacific Rim Aftermath. So this comic takes place between the first movie and the second movie. So it's kind of in the middle there. Okay. Basically, it is uh, from Legendary, because um, that's the film company, written by uh, Kevin Scott. Art is Richard Elson. Colors, Guy Major, and the cover is Richard Elson also. So, yeah, it's a – I think it's just going to be a limited series, I'm assuming. Yeah, I would guess. Yeah, so as a caveat to the beginning, the first issue is really kind of slow. There's no background info other than it kind of talks about the initial Pacific Rim film. And from there – not an exciting first issue, but after reading the other ones that have been out, it's really good. So I'll, I'll put it to kind of bookend that. It's it's okay. really good. It's just one of those – a lot of times the first issue jumps out and grabs you. This one really didn't, but, you know, it is it is what it is. So And, do you, and, and real quick, do you mm-hmm. think this is a good uh, series for somebody that doesn't know anything about Pacific Rim and gets them to jump into the movie? Uh, no, because it takes place after the first movie. So okay, you, you so need to watch the first movie. Yeah. yeah. Watch the first movie. I mean, and again, that's a great, stupid, fun movie. I mean, they tried that. I would have liked to seen more fighting, you know, but uh, just big monsters fighting big robots. But whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's, that's the kid in me. I'm like, yeah, I want them just to be. And the thing is, is I got that in the second one. You know, it was like more, more robots fighting, more monsters. So, yeah. uh, but anyway, so, yeah, if. Yeah, if you've watched Pacific Rim and you liked it, uh, get the comic book. It's pretty cool. So, yeah. I was at a uh, board game convention all weekend, so my uh, uh, playing games and talking and laughing, so my throat is a little rough here. So, anyway. It's uh, just kinda, your radio voice. That's what it is. It's, I will use my radio voice. Good, after, good afternoon. We're talking about Pacific Rim Aftermath. No, sorry. So, <laughs> 
you got to get that certain tone and that swagger in it. Uh, yeah. Anyway, basically, it starts off with kind of a flashback of what was going on during Pacific Rim, the movie. You know, it starts off December 12th, 2021, Santiago, Chile. It kind of uh, you see this crowd running and there's smoke in the background of this um, smoke and dust and these skyscrapers. And all of a sudden you see a big foot just smashed down. On some cars and some dead people laying there and just trying to get away. So it's talking about the big monsters. They came, they appeared. What had happened? Again, it's leading up to Pacific Rim. But it starts off with an interesting note. The first thing it says is, it says, We had been so sure about the future, so convinced that we would prosper come what may. And then it shows the big foot and it says, War, tyranny, disease, they were just blips. We'd get through. We'd survive. Then the kaiju came. So and everything changed. And then it shows the big monster. This is a big two-headed one. It kind of shows, again, just trashing all over. And it's showing um, a newspaper clipping from San Francisco and, like, the Golden Gate Bridge getting destroyed, uh, a news clip from Manila and another kaiju. So just kind of what we saw in the first film. Um, and it talks about, oh, you know, we're getting beat up, whatever. Then all of a sudden, the Jaeger program. The Jaegers, if you haven't seen Pacific Rim, so there, there's two words you need to know. Kaiju is a Japanese word for giant monster. I mean, really, that's what it is, kaiju. So, yes. Godzilla? And, and I haven't seen the movie. Oh, you haven't? No. Oh, you haven't seen Pacific Rim? I know, oh, my goodness. I know. I've wanted to right. see it. I just haven't gotten around to it. But so so the kaijus are the all the monsters, all the different monsters? Yeah, the kaiju is the general term for the monsters. So, like, when you look at Godzilla, Mothra, Rodan, Ghidorah, you've seen Godzilla, yeah. right? Oh, just making sure. <laughs> Those are... <laughs> Those are those are kaiju. And then the Jaeger, uh, which is funny. So kaiju is a Japanese word. Then they use Jaeger, which is a German word. Um, but, uh, you know, like Jaeger Meister. Huh? Hint, hint. No. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, but anyway, um, Jaeger are the big robots that uh, humans build is to fight the big kaiju, the monsters. So yeah. uh, and really a Jaeger is really, if I remember correctly, a German word for hunter type of thing like that. So okay. uh, think about it. So, yeah, it's uh, a Jaeger is a hunter and the kaiju is the big monsters. It, it, it's kind of how it goes. So we got the kaiju, then we got the Jaegers, which are hunting the monsters. Um, so you you haven't seen the movie. So even this would be kind of weird for you. So the Jaegers, um, they take two people to pilot. So they get in what's called the um, – oh, it's not slipstream. Now I can't think of the term. But anyway, their minds connect, and they're able to control these big robots together because it was too much pressure for one per. Their actions sort of control the robot, whatever. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, but anyway, it says – you know, it, back to the comic, it says, you know, you know the saying, the tough get tougher. You know, what it, it says the tough build armored giants with the power of entire armies. The Jaeger pro, uh, program. So then it goes through showing some uh, Jaegers just fighting um, the different kaiju. Uh, there's Again, there's little words each time, little little boxes. You know, for every victory, there was defeat. For every kaiju brought down, there were pilots who never made it home. Learned so much. How two minds were literally better than one when they refused together. And then also in our darkest hour, we remembered how to win. So basically because at first when the Jaeger program came out, they were losing. They remembered, you know, they were able to come back strong and win and win this battle against the kaiju. Uh, I don't want to spoil anything for you since you haven't seen the movie, but they find a way really where the kaiju were coming from and uh, everything like that. The comic talks about that. It was like, you know, we were remembered as heroes. We were remembered as gods because quite literally these pilots who were piloting these Jaegers kind of became celebrities and superstars, you know, because, oh, this pilot was and the Jaegers have different names, the giant robots. So kind of you have your fans and everything. Um, 
and the clip keeps on going. You know, and what do you do with gods? You worship them. You love them. And then there were no, and then when there were no more demons to kill, it then shows March second, twenty thirty four, Los Angeles. So this is thirteen years later after the Kaiju Jaeger wars. Basically, you forget they exist, and it shows a guy sitting here in this in a noodle shop, um, just eating noodles. A white guy with a you know that the the mohawk fauxhawk up on top, just sitting there eating noodles. And he's talking about how about every now and then somebody will spot me or they recognize me, but they're not sure from where. So the assumption is he used to be a Jaeger pilot. And then uh, there's a family sitting at a table next to him. And this kid's got like a big um, action figure of like a Jaeger and then a big action figure of a kaiju and just kind of fighting them together. Um, anyway, he's sitting there eating, just kind of a kind of remembering about all this stuff like, oh, you see these kids and they forget about, you know, who I was or where I came from and a big burly guy bumps the guy while he's sitting there remembering and knocks his bowl of soup down. He's got his chopsticks. And so he ends up just grabbing the guy, him and the guy just end up fighting and uh, he beats the crap out of the guy in the restaurant, just beats him up because also the Jaeger pilots are trained to fight because obviously you need to have some training to control a robot. So the robot knows how to fight also. So if you know martial arts, your robot will know martial arts. Think of it that way. So. Which is pretty impressive because this guy has like four necks. Right. Yeah. He's, <laughs> it's, it's huge, right? He's like this yeah. big neck. And you're like, what the heck? You know, I mean, it's it, like I said, he's a big burly guy. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, so he, um, and he talked about how, you know, I remember how to fight and bring a Titan to its knees and it kind of shows him standing in the restaurant after he knocks the guy down. And you see the Jaeger standing behind him, you know, so <laughs> just kind of like remembering, like, I remember how to fight. So uh, but then there's still this other guy uh, who was watching him and uh, drinking a cup of coffee. And so he finally turns around and says, and what are you looking at, mate? Enjoyed the show. And of course, the cook comes out, and says out, you out, um, kicks him out. And he goes, I'm going. Your slop tastes like dishwater anyway. Talking about the food. Well, the family that was sitting there had left and uh, you could see the little Jaeger toy on the floor that the kid had forgot or dropped. So the, the pilot picks it up and turns around and says, Hey kid, you left your, and it's empty. The alleyway is empty. There's nobody there. So he's just kind of left carrying this Jaeger doll. Um, well then the big guy who he knocked down, you know, so he's got his back turned to the door and the big guy gets up, says, think you're going to run out on me, punk. No one puts the drop on and just bam, just backhands him with a fist and just drops him again, which is kind of funny. So, so yeah, it just kind of knocks him out. And then the guy who had been staring at him sitting at the table, looking out the window, basically that's it. Next, it goes down to Santa Monica, says just one more ghost. And uh, this uh, military vehicle, uh, an APC, uh, armored personnel carrier, uh, all these people get out and they're putting on uh, suits. So one thing you learn, they're putting on hazmat suits. One thing you learn in Pacific Rim 2 well, you have all these old Jaegers laying around, all these dead kaiju, and people harvest parts from the old Jaegers, like the equipment, you know, from it. It's like scrap metal right, is what right. they're, yeah, they're scrapping. So these people are scrap divers, basically going to um, – you know, they're suiting up and talking about they're waiting for somebody. No, we're going to go in. Well, the guy from the fight shows up. He was, he was running late, obviously, because of this fight or whatever. So it's him and this crew. They're going to go in, and it looks like they're going to go – scrapping basically and if you watch pacific room 2 that it's in there so they're going in and it's basically a giant junkyard and he talks about these famous uh jaegers that were famous and well known the names are mentioned and where like the politicians go and visit those and they're venerated and stuff and they're revered he goes but then there's the other ones that weren't so well known that were just destroyed they're just thrown into a scrap heap and that's where they're kind of going and scrapping pretty crazy when you look how small they are and you just see this huge pile of scrapped jaegers yeah, and, and those uh jaegers are enormous 
Yeah, yeah. And so if you've seen the movie, you've seen how big they are. I mean, they're the size yeah. of skyscrapers. So uh, anyway, they're talking about they got a map. They're looking for something particular. Uh, they're working for somebody called the Czar. You know, he wants something in particular. We're looking for it, the Czar. Just as they're in there, boom, one of the guys gets hit with a laser, and all hell breaks loose. There's another gang in there uh, who's obviously scrappers and just shooting them with laser guns, basically. Um, another guy's in there. He's got these brass knuckles that are electrified and just starts punching them. And so the main character, whose name we still don't know, he's got like a kendo stick now. It says, it's amazing how much you remember from Kuhn training and just starts beating the guy down with this stick. He gets punched a couple times, gets knocked through a wall. But he also talks about how he had um, five engagements, three kills, and everything was going good until everything came crashing down. And now he's having these flashbacks about how the Jaeger he was in basically got destroyed by a kaiju. Uh, so he's getting his butt kicked, knocks him into a flashback about being in his Jaeger. And getting beat up. So it's kind of intermixed, which is, is really neat to see uh, how they do the flashbacks that way. Uh, again, it shows that his Jaeger, like the head of the Jaeger got ripped off. If you see the image, it's pretty cool. And the pilots sit in the head. So it says, that's the day I was killed. He goes, it's just taken me a while to die. You know, and this guy with this big, you know, electrified brass knuckles is just getting ready to punch him. So then it cuts back to Chinatown, Los Angeles where he was previous with the guy who got the crap knocked out of him restaurant. And uh, he's trying to make some deal with some gal says 20 bucks, take it or leave it. And an image comes up, says I'd leave it if I were you. And all of a sudden this guy's like, what? No, man, I had a deal. Not cool. Uh, I've had a bad day. So this is the guy who's been watching now earlier in the restaurant who's approaching. And it basically says, you got your ass kicked and you lost a cell. Then you met me meaning about his bad day. And the guy just basically slits his throat. So is this character from the movie? No, he's not. He's okay. not. Not in the movie. So I think it might be a character from the first movie, but I don't remember that character's name. Let's put it that way. Okay. And I don't want to spoil it. If he, it is. Because he looks very cool. Right. He's awesome. He goes, the name's Hannibal Chow, and you're in my GD territory. Trust me, I know all about bad days. So he just basically gutted the guy. Well, slit his throat, and there you go. The comic book is a two-parter. I just wanted to cover the first part of it because that leads up to the main story, basically. The second part is concerning another character later in the movie, but I just wanted to cover the first part where – the story does get better in the comics. It's just as a first comic, if I was just a casual fan and like maybe like you, Bill, haven't seen Pacific Rim, yeah. does it make you want to go, wow, I want to keep reading this? Mm, not really. Uh, but not. knowing that, right. But knowing the background, Pacific Rim, and then also seeing Pacific Rim 2, it, it makes sense for what it's doing because you have old pilots in the Pacific Rim 2, like pilots who – kind of left the program and things like that. So it, it's pretty cool. So, yeah. Well, it gives you an idea what the first movie is about, just from the flashbacks and stuff. Right. So mm -hmm. it kind of makes me think. Okay. So I'd like to go back and see the original movie, maybe not the second. Right. Uh, skip over the second, because it looks like there's a lot of things that were truly the first one that missed out on. But I don't know if I would pick this up if I hadn't seen the movies. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. So the one thing I just looked it up because I've been meaning to and I completely forgot. So the character who shows up who's doing the killing is from the first film, just okay. so you know. Was it's that uh, Ron Perlman? Ron Perlman's character, yeah. Because that's so, who it looks like. Right, yeah. And that's why when I, I remember reading it, I'm like, okay. And I haven't I haven't watched the first movie in a while, you know, because I when it first came out, I saw it in the theaters like two or three times. So I know the movie really well, but I couldn't remember his name. And then I was like, I got to look that up before we were doing this because this was going to be my comic. And I was like, oh, I forgot to do this. So I just looked it up. And I'm like, yeah, it's his character. So 
another reason to watch the first one. It's got Ron Perlman. So. I, w- I would I would watch it just for that. I was seeing the character. He just looks mm-hmm. totally awesome. Right, right. So, yeah, there you go. That's Pacific Rim, The Aftermath. The second part of the book is good. It, it is good, but I just wanted to focus on the first half for this. So, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Very good. No, it was interesting. It was interesting, that's for sure. And I hadn't gotten around to see it. I know it's come on, you know, cable or whatever. Right. Like, right in the middle. And you never want to start something like that. No, yeah. no. Little pieces or whatever. So, yeah, it was it was interesting. It it It, it told me that I need to go see this movie. I'm Ruth. And I'm Darren of the Rad Adventures Network. We're a married couple who enjoy great stories of all kinds, including adventures, mysteries, science fiction, and fantasy. Please join us for a variety of podcasts focused on a range of pop culture topics. Trekker Talk is about 23rd century bounty hunter Mercy St. Clair from the comic Trekker by writer and artist Ron Randall. It's a blend of classic sci-fi adventures and noir mysteries set in a retro future. Xenozoic Xenophiles is about the comic Xenozoic Tales by writer and artist Mark Schultz. It's a post-apocalyptic adventure series filled with Cadillacs and dinosaurs. Warlord Worlds covers the many comics of writer and artist Mike Grell, including The Warlord, John Sable, Green Arrow, and The Legion of Superheroes. Sensational Sluice, where we talk about favorite mystery novels, movies, and TV shows. Fantastic Fantasies, where we share our favorite fantasy films and books. And Amazing Adventures, where we discuss action-packed adventure stories. Listen on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and YouTube. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or visit RadAdventuresNetwork.com to find all of our shows and links to our social media pages. That's Rad, R-A-D, which is short for Ruth and Darren. I went to see a movie. One of my favorite movies of the 80s. Wasn't a blockbuster at the movie. Uh, movies, I think it got beat out by Eddie Murphy's Golden Child, the sort of a same type of movie. 
so it was considered a failure. The hero in that movie, he didn't have a cape or tights. He wore jeans, a tank top, and a baseball cap. And he <laughs> talked in the third person a lot. Yes, he did. That hero's name was Jack Burton. Jack Burton and the Pork Chop Express, and I'm talking to whoever's listening out there. Like I told my last wife, I says, honey, I never drive faster than I can see. Besides that, it's all in the reflexes. You just listen to the old Pork Chop Express and take his advice on a dark and stormy night, all right? When some wild-eyed, eight-foot-tall maniac grabs your neck, taps the back of your favorite head up against a barroom wall, and he looks you crooked in the eye, and he asks you if you've paid your dues. Well, you just stare that big sucker right back in the eye, and you remember what old Jack Burton always says at a time like that. Have you paid your dues, Jack? Yes, sir, the check is in the mail. And the movie was Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> And I watched this more beyond that than I did. You know, I don't. It made something like five million or something like yeah. that, or some very small amount. So, so nobody watched it this in the theater. It was literally everything was after it had been out for a while. Mm-hmm. So, my book is Big Trouble in Little China by Boom Studios, issue number one. It's from June of 2014. Your story is by John Carpenter and Eric Powell. That's important. Why is that important, Seth? Because they're the original screenwriters and directors. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, John Carpenter. John Carpenter. Yes. That's why it's important. Yes. But yes. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of fail on that. I'm sorry. I'm a failure. <laughs> That's it. Whatever, you haven't seen so Pacific Rim. No. <laughs> yeah, no, I know, I know. Okay. We're we're even there. Okay, good. Story is John Carpenter, Eric Powell. Eric Powell's creator of Goon. It's written by Eric Powell. Arts by John uh, Brian Chirilla. And colorist is Michael Garland. Letterer Ed Dukeshire. Our cover is basically Jack Burton holding a, holding his gun. You see his his truck, and you see Egg Shin, and then you see the monster that's coming up in the book. And, of course, Jack Burton, likeness, is ex- right from the movie, and looks like Kurt Russell, of course. Mm-hmm. And they did a pretty good job, at least on the cover, was was a pretty good job of his likeness. When you get in here, it's a little bit more of a cartoony art. I mean, it still looks has some of his features, but the cover definitely shows what it with it, that it's Kurt Russell. Our issue starts off right where the movie ended. You have Jack Burton on a dark and stormy night driving his truck, and the creature from the movie is hanging on the back. And that that's the last you saw of Jack in the movie. You saw this exact scene. And the creature, well, in the movie, the special effects weren't, weren't not the greatest. For their time, they were good, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> but looking back now, it's like a guy in a creature suit, basically. Mm-hmm. And you didn't know really know what it was. You see Jack for the first time, and he's doing his talking to third person like he did in the movie. And uh, some of the dialogue here is pretty good. He's he's like, 
You just listen to the old Pork Chop Express here now and take his advice on a dark and stormy night when the lightning is crashing and the thunder is rolling and the rain's coming down and sheets as thick as lead. Just remember what old Jack Burton does when earthquakes and poison arrows fall from the sky and the pillars of the heavens shake. Yeah, Jack Burton just looked at that big old storm square in the eye and says, Give me your best shot, pal. I can take it. You see him, uh, Jack's driving down the road. You figure out, he doesn't figure out, but the dialogue there. He finds out that he's got this creature hanging on his truck because it opens the door and tries to jump in. And he's a little scared at first, but they sort of become friends on their little truck ride. He gets out of the truck at one point and the beast attacks him. Lunges, looks like he's lunging Jack. Jack has his fist up. But Jack falls in the mud, and the 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 beast licks him like a little puppy dog of some sort. <laughs> right. <laughs> and there's even a part in there where he tells him to stop gnawing on the seats. Yeah, it's kind of a cool scene. So Jack decides to take his new friend to Wang and Egg because he doesn't want him hanging around. So apparently they stop at a truck stop and get his uh, little buddy here, and he calls him Pete. He gives him a nickname, Pete. He gives him a hat and a, a shirt, and the shirt actually says, buy me a drink, and I'll tell you I'm 18. Yep, that's terrible, but awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, he, he when he goes to see his friend Wang and Egg, they're at Wang's wedding. Wang is getting married to Mal Yin, the, the girl that gets kidnapped from the movie, if you've seen the movie. Mm-hmm. So he kind of comes in here with this ape on a leash. Egg's like, what What are you doing here? The cops are looking for you. And he's like, this thing hitched a ride and thinks that we're star-crossed lovers. He says, this is your expertise. And Egg's like, oh, no. He says, you realize what that is? That's a demon. It was a servant of Lopan by Black Magic, and when you killed Lopan, that bond was transferred to you. <laughs> it's breakable unless, and he's like, unless what? Well, unless someone kills you <laughs> and the bond is transferred to them. Yep. And he doesn't really like that idea. And you see Wang, and he comes out. He is like this garb because he's getting ready to get married. Then they have a little wedding. Jack, you can see Jack's shadow and eggs mm-hmm. and the creature Pete back in the distance. And at this point, Jack tells Pete story of his second marriage, which he mentioned it once in the movie. He goes into this elaborate story, and they show this little flashback. It's kind of weird. It looks like he's getting married to a guy. <laughs> um, he said the reception was nice, though except for the Mexican bikers. <laughs> and he says, However, the tales of the expectant stork were greatly exaggerated. There was no bun in the oven. It was all a ploy to get her claws in the old jack. And there we were, husband and wife in the middle of nowhere. Little did I know the old man was the head of a crazy death cult wanting to resurrect some Babylonian demigod to bring him back the end of time. Oh, and you gosh. see the guy sacrificing a chicken and he I guess he got out of that marriage but it was kind of an interlude there and then while they're at their wedding come crashing through the window is the Wing Kong part of Lopan's plan that 
they're pretty upset because Jack had killed Lopan in the movie. Then you got a big old fight. Everybody's fighting. Pete on them. He kind of some of these guys around. You have Egg using his dark magic electrical magic you see from the movie and then you have a warrior show up and he says i've come for those who've disgraced my master and he looks kind of weird he looks almost like galacticus with like an eyeball in his forehead i don't know how to describe it. <laughs> yeah yeah without looking it's like well it's no it's not really that it's hmm <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He just looks weird. Right. Egg describes him. He's Quang Wu, warrior, sorcerer, disciple of Lo Pan. Mm-hmm. Crazy as an outhouse rat. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever so, that means. Oh my goodness, yes. But yeah, they attack the sorcerer. The sorcerer actually grabs a hold of Wang by the neck. He's gonna make make Jack a deal because he's gonna kill his friend, but he needs to him to do something he says the only way you can free wang is travel the black road in the hell of the seven-faced widow you'll find three jars and retrieve the spirits from the of the three storms and return them in three days for those who watched the movie the three storms were actually in the movie Mm -hmm. thunder lightning and rain and they were these guys with these big hats on that had like chin straps (laughs) <laughs> and they had pretty powerful in the movie. Jack, who, <laughs> well, Egg says, the Black Road, you have traveled it and lived to tell the tale. And Jack's like, well, like Jack Burton always says, and Quang Wu says, who? <laughs> and he says, me, Jack Burton. And like I always say, when some eight-foot-tall immortal Chinese warlord magician comes looking for revenge, and challenge you to some damn near impossible task to save your pal skin? Well, you look that sucker right in the eye and say, Sister, challenge accepted. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where her issue ended. Yes. It was a fun book for me, personally. Right. Yeah, It's a great uh, book, so yeah. I got the first trade, so I'm like breaking into that. I, I went ahead and read a little further it's it's very entertaining you see callbacks to the movie and, that's great and different things that kind of expands on that well it's funny after you and i had first discussed this i went and watched the movie again and i was uh-huh. like oh my goodness how closely like the how would you say it the atmosphere of the comic matches the movie you know it's uh, oh yeah i mean it's like because if you haven't seen the movie or if you haven't seen it in a while you're like wow this book's really campy go back and watch the movie and you're like oh my god it's just like the movie <laughs> Which is great, so, yeah. And the movie's campy, but I don't think it... Yeah, it's not overly campy. I mean, it's Star Carpenter, but I'm I'm talking about for, like, the style and, like, all this weird stuff. And you see this comic, you're like, no, the comic fits the movie perfectly. So, yeah, which is great. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I really enjoyed it. If you like the movie, watch the movie, this is one that I think you should pick up. It's been going... I think it's still going on. They, They had a series... One that was just uh, named Big Trouble in Little China, and that went for a couple dozen issues. And then currently they have Old Man Jack, which is he's a little older in his adventures. I guess sort of like Old Man Logan Mm, type of thing. It's been very entertaining, and John Carpenter has been involved. So, you know, when they have those 
they have movies and they have all those ideas for movies. Not all those ideas actually make it into the movies, so it's kind of cool to see these comic spinoffs to certain things, like the the issue that you did right before. Um, it's kind of neat to see pieces of that put together. Right, yeah, that you can do They're that. There's like more properties that I would like to see this kind of stuff for. So that brings me for what I will be doing for our next issue because it, it, it's funny we're kind of doing movie comics right now as for the more recent ones in a sense, you know, for like newer comics. I'm planning on my next one will be uh, so Mars Attacks, which originally was, you know, trading cards, and then there was the movie that Tim Burton did. So I love Mars Attacks. Yeah. So there's been some yeah. Mars Attacks comics, and uh, so that'll be one of my newer ones coming up. So just because. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I haven't seen that movie in years. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> it's so <laughs> The best is, you know, Jack Nicholson's speech as the president, and can't we all just get along? And then they kill him. Yeah, it's just great. So, right. yeah. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. <laughs> I mean, there's even TV series that have ended, and I wish, you know, they would do like a comic series. Like one of my favorite shows of all times was Lost. Oh, okay. And it's and it sort of ended kind of maybe not the way I imagined. And, you know, they've extended stuff like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. They extended some of these series into comics. Firefly, even. Firefly has, yeah. Firefly, yeah. yeah. And those comics were good also afterwards, so, but yeah. Let's take a quick break here, and we'll be right back. Batman Nightcast, a thrilling new podcast from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Hosted by Ryan Daly and Chris Franklin. Nightcast chronicles the Cape Crusaders' adventures in Batman and Detective Comics after Crisis on Infinite Earths. Highlights from this legendary era include Batman number 400, Legends, Mike Barr and Alan Davis, Batman Year One, Batman Year Two, Max Allen Collins, Ugh. Um, the new Jason Todd, Ugh. Millennium? You're not doing this right. Let me take over. Alan Grant and Norm Brayfogle. Alan Grant from Jurassic Park? Did you hear me say Norm freaking Brayfogle? Oh, yeah. Son of the Demon. The Killing Joke. A Death in the Family. Batman Year 3. A Lonely Place of Dying. Alan Grant, Alan Davis, Max Allen Collins. Why are there so many people named Alan from this era of Batman? The Rise of Tim Drake. Legends of the Dark Knight. And that's just up until 1989. Did anything exciting happen with Batman after that? You'll have to tune in to find out. Batman Nightcast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Find it on iTunes and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Oh, we forgot to mention your favorite issue, When Batman Fires Dick Grayson. You want to find another co-host? Take the Earth's mightiest heroes, each an invincible champion of justice, and band them together to assemble the legendary Justice League of America. For 261 issues and three annuals, the DC Universe was defended from threats on Earth and beyond by this legendary team. Operating from a cave in Happy Harbor to a satellite orbiting 22,300 miles above the Earth to uh, Detroit, Justice's First Dawn, a classic Justice League of America podcast, will follow the League through all their evolutions. Please join your host, Mike Peacock, as I seek to cover all of the issues of the classic pre-crisis Justice League of America series. Through the magic of the JLA transporter, each issue will be randomized, 
with special episodes covering a complete story arc if needed. Along with the issue coverage, we shall also look at what the then-current members of the Justice League were up to in solo appearances in other comics for the JLA Cover Month issue. So do not hesitate to activate your JLA signal device for Justice's First Dawn, a classic Justice League of America podcast on classicjla.podbean.com or by subscribing through iTunes. And we're back. Thank you for that small uh, commercial break there, Bill. In a world where ancient Chinese wizards arrive. No, something like that. So, <laughs> so anyway, so time for our old comics. So it's funny because I keep going back to old Batman stuff because, you know, there's so much good old Batman uh, that we have. And I promise the next time my old comic won't be Batman related. But uh, this one. Is a comic. This is a Detective Comics number uh, 235 from 1956. So Detective Comics number 235, 1956. It's called The First Batman. So it's funny when we look at with Batman where he's at today and kind of how some stories got added in. Some writers will take a story and they will try to make it their own or add something into it to justify something that happened in a comic book years ago. Right. You know, we're trying to. Right. You know. Sometimes it works out amazingly well. Grant Morrison, you're awesome. But other times it doesn't. I won't mention. Yeah, I will. Judd Winnick and you bringing back Jason Todd is terrible still after Hush. Just saying. I, I will. Yeah. Anyway, Jason Todd should be dead. I need to make that a button or a website. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Um, these these writers are not the first to do that, though, is the thing as far as, hey, let's uh, try to make this work in the comic or, hey, remember this random story we read? Well, let's add it to our comic and make it canon or or something. Because sometimes you get these stories and they seem so far out of place. Well, this is back. What did I say? 1956. Is that what I said? Yeah. 1956. Bob Kane kind of doing a story that seemed so far fetched. And you kind of forget about it, but then the story was actually brought back. Grant Morrison had mentioned it. Other writers had mentioned it. And it's it's one of those stories where it's a fun story, but you look at it and go, oh, man, that's just that's just too, too not campy, but too uh, breaking the fourth wall. Not even breaking the fourth wall. I, I don't know. Any, it It's interesting. We'll call it that. So it's called The First Batman. I always love reading these old comics in the blurb up top. You know, uh, in honored space in the Batcave's fame trophy room hangs a strange, yet oddly familiar garb. The costume of another Batman. Impossible, you say? Bruce Wayne is the one and only, the original Batman. Well, he is, and he isn't. Read on, and you'll learn the astonishing answer to this paradox. Read on, and you'll learn the inside story of the first Batman. So, And it shows uh, you know, Batman and Robin sitting there, and there's this, um, in a big showcase, basically a cape with some wings, cowl that has big bat ears. You know, it's uh, kind of like yeah. the masquerade mask. Uh, and anyway, what it is, is uh, you go to the next page, and one day as Bruce Wayne and his young ward, Dick Grayson, clean out their attic, because what billionaire and his ward don't clean out their attic, you know? They're going through, and there's a desk there, and um, uh, Dick says, Bruce, look, I must have touched a hidden spring in your father's old desk. And Bruce goes, a secret drawer, and there's something inside. Now, if you look at this desk, this is the great part about it, too. This had to be, like, I don't know how secret this drawer is, because... The size of bat wings that come out are huge, but it looks like a standard desk size. So Bruce pulls it out and he sees bat wings. It says, it's kind of a Batman costume. 
And then Bruce says, Dick, I think I've seen this costume before on my father long, long ago. Dick. But I mean, when you look at again, it doesn't have to make sense. It's fiction, but it's just funny that there's a secret drawer that's hidden, which you would think it's small in a desk, right? Yeah. Doesn't everybody have a secret drawer? Totally. And then they pull yeah. out this huge set of bat wings. So, you know, <laughs> because, uh, but then Dick tells him, well, then that means your father was Batman before you. And Bruce goes, but that's impossible. I was the first Batman. I adopted the first Batman costume years after I saw my parents killed by a robber. So again, kind of like how movies today, if they have a new origin story, you got to see him die again and die again and die again. Um, Bruce yeah. has to mention every time to, to Dick, oh, yeah, I was Batman years after I saw my parents killed by a robber. Not a line you need to drop in a conversation, but sure. So, <laughs> so um, then it says Bruce's thoughts whirl back to when he was a boy and made a promise to the memory of his parents. And that's where uh, above the mantle, uh, there's a picture that says, I vow that I'll dedicate my life to bring your killer to justice and to fight all crime. So, again, Bruce, it shows him kind of a flashback like an origin story movie, his training and science. I love his athletic training. He's on a high trapeze bar, which is awesome. So, <laughs> <laughs> And then, of course, the famous scene of him sitting in his study in his uh, smoker's jacket with the ascot and a bat flies in through the window, finds out he's become bat. And then uh, eventually he finds out about Joe Chill and uh, or Joey Chill. You know, it says here and being able to capture Joe Chill, the person who murdered his parents and so forth. Well, also in the desk, there is a uh, can of movie film and a diary. Get the film projector, pop it open, start playing it. It says, the the video says, um, there's a man in the back saying, Ladies and gentlemen, as you all know, the theme of this year's Masquerade Ball is Flying Creatures. And our first prize for the best flying creature costume goes to Dr. Thomas Wayne for his Batman costume. And then Bruce is like, my father. And so, of course, he's dressed as a Batman, as a bat. And there's somebody dresses like an eagle, looks like a chicken in the background, you know. The great thing is, is all of a sudden these people bust in, and this is my favorite. We figured there'd be a doc in this crowd. Come on, doc, we need you. Make it snappy. Meaning we figured there'd be a doctor, because, of course, uh, Thomas Wayne is a doctor. The bad guy's holding the gun. Thomas Wayne goes, you can't threaten me, and punches the guy with the gun, and the gun goes flying. And so Bruce is, boy, dad. <laughs> so, uh, But then again. More guys with guns show up. So he's like, oh, no, I, I have no choice now. The movie abruptly ends. Dick's like, well, at least the movie told us why your father wore a Batman costume. But, you know, they don't know anything else. And so Bruce has the diary then that was also in the drawer and says, listen to what his diary says. And basically explains that him and Martha went to a masquerade and the gangsters show up. One of the, the gangster bosses uh, was in hiding and he'd been shot during a bank robbery, basically. And they needed Bruce, uh, they needed uh, Thomas patch him up. You know, he got shot. He got winged by the cops. So he needed to be patched up. In the diary, it says, uh, reading on, Bruce learns what happened after the hoodlums took his father from the ball. It says, the gunman took me to an old warehouse where the boss was in hiding. Of course, Thomas Wayne recognized and says, you're Lou Moxon, the bank robber the police are after. And he goes, yeah, one of them winged me. I want you to remove the slug. So then he writes in the diary again. I knew that once I removed the bullet, Moxon would never let let me live to reveal his whereabouts to the police. Thomas Wayne then says, I've got to do something, but what? And so he's pulling stuff out of his um his bag, you know, for stuff. So what he ends up doing is he hooks his foot underneath Moxon's chair, trips him, then beats up all the other bad guys in the room, which is funny. It's like a right and a left at the same time. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's like boom, boom, you know, punches both of them. Uh, he goes to the cops. Uh, also, and Bruce is back there with Dick. Goes to the cops. Moxon was sent to 10 years for armed robbery. So 10 years rolled by. Here's the diary again talking about 10 years rolled by. I'd invested my savings wisely and became wealthy. I'd almost forgotten Moxon until today. 
And basically, they bumped into each other on the street. Come to find out that Moxton had hired Joe Chill kill Dr. Thomas Wayne and his wife because of what Thomas Wayne had did before. Bruce is like, oh, no, we figured out. It was a cover-up. It wasn't just a random killing. It was, you know, Moxon because Moxon was still alive. He goes, uh, we've just reopened the Wayne murder case. So he goes over to Gordon to say, we need to reopen this case of my parents being murdered or whatever. They end up finding where Moxon's at. Moxon owns the Moxon Sky High Advertising Company, which is one of the big blimps in town. Uh, so they show up. And, of course, Robin, you know, they're trying to be sneaky. They take the bat plane over. Uh, but they're trying to be sneaky, and as they're sneaking along, uh, Robin accidentally kicks a gas can. <laughs> and then you get the famous picture of Batman and Robin uh, in a flashlight, which is always a really cool picture. Yeah, that's always really cool. They show that in yeah. show that in Batman Forever. Yep, so it keeps getting shown in everything. So they start finding all the bad guys. At one point, Robin gets smacked in the head with the sandbag on a rope, which is hilarious. <laughs> So they're all fighting. Batman's taking them all out. There's uh, four of them at a time. He picks one guy up by the head, basically, and throws him into the other guy. <laughs> he eventually is able to catch uh, Lou Moxon and takes him to the police and says, I'm charging you with murder, uh, charging you with the murder of Dr. Thomas Wayne. Uh, Dr. Thomas Wayne says, what? I've never heard of a Thomas Wayne. I'm even willing to take a lie detector test, so forth, you know, and uh, I've never heard of Joey Chill. They didn't hire him. I don't know what you're talking about, whatever. Moxon says, I'll take a lie detector test. They take him. Moxon passes the lie detector test it says he's being honest so he must be telling the truth somehow so batman's still upset about this we know this is what it is but whatever moxon was in an automobile accident so the reason he doesn't remember because he has amnesia <laughs> from an automobile his head he hit his head has amnesia automobile accident whatever um so they're like well we're still gonna go get him and uh, there's a blimp with the advertising and stuff and so they're watching people come down from it and so that's where batman and robin attack again i mean not attack they want to you know stop Moxon basically because they know he did it they know they're responsible for it whatever just to get to the end of it so they want to shake Moxon's memories what they want to do basically so Bruce has a plan to where he's going to show up with Moxon but this time he's going to be wearing the costume that his dad wore <laughs> and so he's wearing it and he sees Moxon and just spooks Moxon well Moxon takes off running no 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 you're dead I had Joe Chill kill you leave me alone leave me alone <laughs> So that shakes his memory, right? Well, what happens to Moxon? He runs out to the road and gets hit by a car. <laughs> so, you know, Batman tries to say, Moxon, look out for that truck. Of course, not. He gets killed by the truck. And a screech of brakes, a cry. In Moxon's career, violence ends in violence. And Bruce is thinking to himself, I wanted to take him alive to stand trial for his crimes, but his own guilt convicted him. <laughs> and so, and it says, soon after, a costume occupies an honored space in Batcave's trophy room. And there's a little plaque next to it. it says from the Wayne murder case, case finally solved by this costume once worn by the first Batman. So old school, crazy, campy style story and all that. So still fun, though, uh, to see these flashbacks that were, you know, doing flashbacks even way back then. So, yeah. So overall, a fun story. And a, and a lot what you were saying at the beginning there, some story out of here that was taken in Grant mm -hmm. Morrison's run. Uh, showed that his father wore this costume, and then Dr. Hurt sort of wore that yep. costume, too, because it was implied at one point that Dr. His Hurt dad. was... Yeah, his dad. And it does... This is... And I haven't read a lot of these old issues, but this seems to imply that, that Joe Chill wasn't just a random thing. Mm -hmm. It was like a, a hit, like a mob hit, basically. I sort of like it being like, you know, you don't have all the answers. It was just a random thing that happened, mm. not the mob hit. I mean, it, it's kind of interesting, but, you know, this has changed so many times, you know, since... Yeah, 1956, yeah. How many times has Joe Chill been the 
They've done oh, a yeah. lot of different yeah. stories. Yeah. Yeah. So it's still it's still very cool. But yeah, it's like the flashbacks change, change, change. But it's kind of like one of the first flashback stories that added something to canon. But then time kind of forgot it. So there was a time when people were like, what the heck is this? And you go back. Oh, no, they did this already. So it's kind of cool to tie it all into present day, I think. So, yeah. And there's a lot of stories, like especially Grant, bring up Grant Morrison, but he did it a lot. Oh, he totally did. The Black Case book, yeah, is all the stories he used to make his huge epic Batman run. So yeah. There was the Batman mm-hmm, of Zura which I love. Da. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, very good, very good. Love these old books. You know, sometimes they're better than some of the, the new stuff mm. they currently have out. Right. You know. Very uh, entertaining and different kind of writing and. Of course, it is a little camp relating back to the uh, Batman 66 TV oh, series. Yep, yep. To the Batmobile. Let's go. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. You're ready to move up. My old book is The Brave and the Bold, number 76, from 1968. Nice. And it's written by Bob Haney. Your penciler is Mike Sadowski, and your anchor is Jack Abel. And on the cover, it's Batman and Plastic Man. <laughs> yes. Doom, what is thy shape? Is the name of the title. And I actually, I got this. I picked this book out of in the last year. I got this Brave and the Bold, the Bronze yep. Age omnibus. And this is one of the stories that I picked out of there. There's like. I could have picked so much stuff out of here. I mean, all the different... There's the Creeper. There's the Spectre. There's Green Arrows in here a couple times. Dead Man. There's a lot of different characters that are in here. Aquaman, Wonder Woman. You know, it always... It seems like he had to team up with one other character. Batwoman, I see. That's awesome. Wonder if he ever had like a Jonah Hex. There's the Atom. Don't see it, but there's the one, the War, the War comic that DC yeah. had. Oh yeah, I've, I did one of those in a past uh, comic before. I think I did Ghost Tank or one of those. I did, yeah. So, yep. Sergeant Rock, Batman and Sergeant Rock. <laughs> that seems like an odd combination. We'll get into this Batman and Plastic Man. You start off, you always see a scene that happens like in the middle of the book. Mm-hmm. And you see, a, a, they're in the subway, and there's this guy in this really campy-looking suit, and he says, Nothing can save the great Gotham, guardian of Gotham now. So says the motor. The motor, classic villain, the motor. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, the motor. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't remember him, but yeah. <laughs> the, yeah, the motor. He says, blocking the way, Batman, we're going to... And you see the subway cars going to crash into Batman and stuff in some kind of goo. Then the next page, you see a car it pulls up to a, a bank, like a drive through at the bank. And then you see side mirror kind of evolves, sort of like Plastic Man, into a hand and grabs the bank bag in the bank. And it, it has a getaway. And Batman on his little bat viewer, whatever you want, bat camera, used this car, getaway car, and he's going under this underpass to intercept it. 
and the car actually turns into a van and he actually gets away and you see the motor sitting up on one of these gargoyles and he says ha ha did a great Batman and puzzled by what I, the motor, have wrought. <laughs> That's sorry. awesome. This is a ridiculous. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But then, but then perhaps he hasn't heard of plastic with a memory. <laughs> so he describes how he escaped the robbery. The car was made of this plastic, and he changed the shape. <laughs> But then the plastic remembered what shape it used to be. And that's how it changed back into the oh truck. My. And he has these little something that ejects out of his wrist. It's made of plastic. And he's like, look, little grappling type gun. So you see the, the motor's hot out. And he says the next great event of the age of plastic is molding his very special batch of DNA polymer plastic. Condition with DNA and biogenetic plasma. So he's making these fake humanoid type people that he's going to call plastoids. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> he so sends, good. Yeah, he sends these plastoids on this train. They're robbing the people on the train in a subway. And you see them escaping all the trains. And then you see Batman in the next panel, and he's on. Is he in the in the Batmobile? No, Batboat. No, he's in the the subway. Of course, he <laughs> wouldn't be on any of those things. He would be on the Wallabat, yes. <laughs> this little helicopter type thing. <laughs> he's like, there goes the weird robot subway thief. I'll flag them down easily in the world of back. So he's chasing them on the world of back. He goes by, and you see the plastoids. They they change themselves into stop number twenty four for the subway. And then Batman figures out there's no subway stop twenty four. So he goes back and uh, he begins chase. And that's when the motor gets him. <laughs> the motor spews out some kind of melted plastic and the whirl of bat gets stopped in this molded plastic and batman gets stuck and as as you've seen in the previous you know at the beginning of the book the the panel there where batman was going to get crushed by mm-hmm. the on train it has one of those you know at the end of the uh, batman 66 series it, it the guy especially if it's a yeah. two-parter the voiceover would say something uh, like, uh, can they escape? <laughs> Tune in. And this is, looks like the Cape Crusader will be derailed yes. for eternity. Is there no room, no future for Batman in the age of plastic? Has the motor triumphed where so many other villains have failed? <laughs> Though all should be answered in part two, it explodes on the following page. And then you have a Batman the Brave and the Bold symbol. So you see people in the subway uh, looking like they're going to crash into Batman and kill him, and then you see this outstretched arm come and stops the subway train, and it's Plastic Man. This is the best line ever. When Batman, uh, Plastic Man makes a little fist and beats out this hard plastic, and, and Batman comes out to shake his hand, and he says, Well, 
I'll be a superhero's uncle-in-law, Plastic Man. Where'd you pop from? <laughs> and, he, and he says, I'm on the trail of the super baddie called the Molder. Oh, my goodness. And the Molder watch them, uh, watches them from a distance. Batman goes to get in his batter world, but Plastic Man kind of knocked Batman out of the way because he had electrified to electrocute him in the the motor gets away. Plastic Man follows to stretch it after him, and the motor uses his little ray that comes out of the top of his helmet again and hits Plastic Man with this molten plastic. And Plastic Man goes into pieces. <laughs> you just see him. His arms are going one way. His legs are going. His upper torso is going. So then Batman is after him, and... uh he kind of shoots his plastic again on the on the whirl of bat, and but Batman gets away this time, and he finds Plastic Man, and he says, "You're all over the place, Plas. Check, Batman. I got a real quick pour of Gotham, but not the way I like it. I feel like Humpty Dumpty, and I guess I'm all the king's horses in his oh head too. Plastic Man, his head." Was in the U.S. mail. You know, one of the, it's green on here. Right, yeah. Up your mail. Plastic Man says, the motor trying to send me air mail, but it looks like there was insufficient. <laughs> and Batman's like, Batman's pretty jokey in here too, but he's like, enough jokes, Plaz. We're in big trouble. The motor, Mr. Motor, making some kind of new ingredient. And Batman, Plastic Man, they're trying to figure out where the motor's going to strike next. Plastic Man disguises himself as a bus stop sign that gets picked up by a guy. And then when he decides he's at the right place, he just, he becomes himself again. Uh. <laughs> the guy who's holding the sign says, Yow! The sign's alive? That's awesome. But this time, when Plastic Man runs into the motor, he, he shoots him with some new ingredient in the plastic, and it makes plastic, man, keep expanding. It keeps expanding. It's like he's flooding Gotham. He has these tentacles that are going out around the the tall buildings that are making him crush him, and then Batman gets stuck in Plastic Man's melting plastic, and it looks like he's going to die. He's going to suffocate, of course. Then uh, Commissioner Gordon gets involved. He fires... An old World War II gun, and he hits Plastic Man, but he just hits him enough to break his <laughs> head off. And his head goes oh. flying. His head goes flying. It bounces into the motor's layer. Yes, I said that right. It bounces right into the motor's layer. That's awesome. He sees beaker filled with liquid plastic solution, and he says... This may be it. This may be an answer of it all. So he decides to drink it. <laughs> Just a beaker. It says memory plastic. He drinks it. So he drinks it like yep. a cup of tea. <laughs> and he comes in and uh, plasticoids decides to stretch his face. So they're stretching his face really big. And then they send him flying back to his original body. When he hits his body, he shrinks back down to normal size and you see Batman fighting Mulder and Batman actually knocks the Mulder a real good punch uppercut 
and actually accidentally knocks the motor off the building, but Plastic Man is there to catch him. And Batman's like, Plas, you're back to normal. He says, the motor and a bit of luck did it. My head was blasted into his lab where I gulped some memory <laughs> solution. By rejoining my main mass, I was able to saturate all my molecules with his properties so they remembered my usual form and changed back to plain little old malleable me. <laughs> oh my god. I love Plastic Man. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, so they kind of congratulate each other. Plastic Man shakes hands but put his arm around his neck to shake uh, Batman's hand. So yeah. And it says uh, you can read the continuing adventures of Plastic Man in his own series. That's, so, that's awesome. Yeah. This was a this was a pretty good uh, yeah. pretty good issue. You, you gotta love the classic cheese and camp stuff, man. I mean, because that's where Batman started yeah. at, and some of those, especially when you get the characters like Plastic Man, he hasn't changed, you know, as far as the the characterization of him and stuff, which is great. That's how he is, and so, and, I mean, <laughs> his lines are always the same, and it's yeah. just like this is great, you know. They're they're keeping it that way, and it's good. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was hard to actually pick. I haven't read I've I've read a few of these, but I wanted to pick somebody that we haven't really discussed before. Right, right. On here, probably in the future, I'll pick. They got Batman and Wildcat, is in number nice. eighty-eight. Phantom Stranger. Yeah. Just a lot of different. The one I was looking looking for, but I started reading the other one was Metamorpho. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of cool, but yeah, I'll definitely have to do more out of this book. But they're they're pretty awesome, right? Yeah. I mean, this is Batman from the '60s, you know, early '70s. You're gonna have some camp to it. It does get more serious after a certain point. Even in the Brave and Bold issues, there's more. It gets more serious as going on, and the camp is still there to a certain extent, but it goes goes away so yeah i really enjoyed that one that kind of stuff is why we do this podcast because uh they're such enjoyable stories that's really what it's about yeah is enjoying all the old stuff and that's what the old ones is about is going back to where it came from and yeah i think it's like we've discussed before where the new comics try to get too serious it's no longer escapism it's nice to go back to the old ones uh for the escapism yeah, so which I like. Yeah, yeah. Well, cool, man. Yeah. So fun, fun sure. episode. So we had some crazy ones in there, which are great. So I like that. So. Just a second while I retrieve my beanie, my hair, my tweezers, and my notes. So I I wanted to give a shout out to David Schultz of the Parlopod podcast. He did our promo. Anybody out there wants to share promos, just let us know, and we can. Uh, do your promo, and uh, you can do ours, or vice versa, whatever you'd like to do. But thanks for David for helping us out with that. If you'd like to join the conversation, we are on Twitter, at 202new. I am at GothamKnight13, and Seth is Seth Must Die. We have an email if you want to tell us how we're doing or have any suggestions for anything. We're 202newpodcast at gmail.com. Where we are on iTunes. If you'd like to give us an iTunes review, we'd appreciate it. 
where you are on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And you have anything else? No, that's it. Thanks for listening. Uh, Like Bill saying, messages, let us know what you think. Or also, if there's something you want us to read, you got a favorite old comic, let us know. We'll read it, and uh, we'll discuss it on here. Or maybe you could call in and discuss it with us. So that'd be great. So for Seth, I am Bill, and we will see you later. Dun-dun-dun. We have come to the end of another exciting episode of the Comic Book Podcast, hosted by Bill and Seth. Join us next time. We review two old and two new comic books. Watch ya!